Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So basically, who's going to claim who on the tax return? Right? And that becomes an issue. And when the checks comes back, who's going to cash it? Right? That's a very serious issue. Oh, may Allah make it easy for you guys on, the, on this manner. Yeah, that's the point. Go ahead. Parenting. Like, I want my kids to eat healthy. My mother-in-law, who cares? Let them enjoy it. Let them eat. Mashallah. Or they shouldn't be eating that much after this hour. Don't get them too much candy and sugar. So, but the kids keep, you know, and the family gets involved. So parenting becomes an issue as well too in these scenarios. Okay, so these are the disadvantages. But don't tell me it's always bad. There must be some advantages of living with your, with your parents. What are they? What do you get as advantage? Yes. Babysitting. Free babysitting. Free babysitting. You don't have to pay anything. You just go tell your mother-in-law or father-in-law, hey, by the way, we're going to go have a, a, a date, inshallah, with dinner right now, so can you take care of the kids for us? They will love to do that. Hopefully, of course. Yeah. What else? Wisdom and experience sharing. Wisdom and experience. So you have, mashallah, the wise mom and dad who can help you with a lot of things in, in, in terms of life. Now, obviously, with, the, you know, with a lot of uh, grain of salt, every advice might come in. Because, again, generations are different. Not every advice they give might fit within the context of your situation. But still, they have a lot of wisdom. SubhanAllah, no matter how much we say, you know, we could be more religious than our parents. We can be smarter than our parents, but they have an advantage over us we cannot match. And that's the life experience. They lived at least 20, 30 years before us, so therefore really know about life much more than what we think. What else? Yes, somebody else. I want to see if... Yes. They cook better food than us, mashallah. So you have a fruit, a free catering as well, you could say. So alhamdulillah, that's an advantage, okay? Birul walidain becomes easier for you? Yeah? Alhamdulillah, free access to Birul walidain, gates of al-Jannah. You have gates to al-Jannah, alhamdulillah. If things go easy, of course, tabayah. Okay, what else? Yes? Emotional support, alhamdulillah, yes? Financial support, what does that mean? Saving some money, right? Some free, free mortgage, probably. Living, you know, without having to pay rent, probably. But it's easier because if they live separate, you're probably going to be more responsible towards them financially. And that now must, some of your money has to go out there. So there are a lot of advantages, disadvantages when it comes to living with our families. Is it halal, haram? The answer is actually is neutral. There is no such thing as halal or haram to live with your parents. And there's no such thing as obligation that you have to live with your parents. No. What happens here, Islamically, it depends on the circumstances. It depends on, of course, the cultural arrangement. These are cultural arrangements. If the parents reach that age where they cannot physically or financially live on their own, then it becomes the responsibility of their children to take care of them. Whether to move in with them or bring the family to move in with you. What's the difference between you moving in with your parents or your parents moving in with you. What's the difference? Is there any difference? So they're independent. Oh, but what's the difference if you move in into their, you know, moving in with them or they moving in with you? What the, what's, what's the difference here? Yes. So they established their system in that household. And if you cannot come in and move in to help them out, how do you feel in that household? As the guest. So it becomes confusion of authority. Who is the one who has the authority? If the mother-in-law, father-in-law move in with you, 
Obviously, you and your wife expect to have the final say in many things. But because they're the elders right now the two of the community, the family, they think they have the say in it. So there's confusion. Who has the right to move the furniture this way or that way or change colors or do this or do that or invite people or otherwise? There are a lot of things actually could happen as a result of that. How do we resolve these issues? Of course, cultural arrangements. These are all cultural arrangements and you have to make sure that you uh, speak about it, alhamdulillah, together and set the expectation right. All right, so this is just kind of like introduction to what we're going to talk about, inshallah. So let's first define what usra or aila or family is. In the Arabic language, family, there are multiple words for it, but the most common word in the Quran, I mean in the Arabic language, is usra and aila, we say. Usra is more actually appropriate than aila and it's more commonly used. And when we say usra for family, let's talk about where it's coming from. So you understand what does it exactly mean? Al-Usra, when I say Usra, what does it mean exactly? What's, what other word in Arabic that comes to your mind when you hear the word Usra? What is it? Asara, which means captivity. When someone is, is, when someone is captive. So it's called Asir in the Arabic language. So how does captivity is related or correlated with Usra? Always together. Or does the captive have choice in his captivity? No. So you as a part of an Usra, you're basically, you're captive, you're being captured and you're captive to the blood ties. So that's why they say Al-Usra from that means you got all together in this and you have no choice in that kind of arrangement. However, it also Al-Usra uh, uh, comes with the meaning of obligations, meaning of rights, obviously. So it gets, gives that meaning that we all related in rights and obligations towards each other. Now in the Quran, the word usra doesn't exist actually in that sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used other words to refer to family. And the common words in the Quran is ashira and ahl. So the example that we see here in, this, in these two ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and warn your closest kin or family. In the other ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Ismail alayhi salam, And join prayer upon your ahl, which means family. So the word again, ashira and ahl is most commonly used in the Quran because it has actually the word ashira and ahl has a sentimental meaning to it better than the word usra. Like usra is the captivity, like you're captive to these ties, to the blood ties. But ashira and ahl has a sentimental value of being part of this, this gathering or this family. How do you define a family, technically speaking? As Muslims, when it comes to family, there's a specific definition for it. It's divinely inspired institution with marriage as its core. It's a divinely inspired institution. When we say divinely inspired institution, what do you mean by that? What do you guys think? What comes to your mind when you say divinely inspired institution? Marriage contract, where did you get that from, from divinely inspired? From the word institution, right? If it's an institution, it's an organization. An organization have, you know, their bylaws, their system and everything. So there is a contract that comes into it. But okay. It's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say divinely inspired, right? But when we say divinely inspired, what comes into this? All the rules and obligations, where do you find them? The Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu and if it's divinely inspired, if it's divinely inspired, is it left for us to decide what family is? It's divinely inspired. So when it comes to definition of family, it's already been decided in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet What about in the 21st century? 
people today are trying to redefine family. And they sometimes, unfortunately, they shove it down our throat, regardless whether we like it or not. I don't know how many of you have seen some of the cartoons where they try to uh, uh, normalize the definition of family, like you can be a family, whether it's a husband, wife together, or actually two of the same gender with kids as a family. I understand that's a definition of the 21st century, but Islamically, it's easy to define as a husband, wife, whether children and extended family. As simple as that. And I don't know how many of you uh, pay attention to the subtle messages they send in, uh, in cartoons as well too. Innocent cartoon, but you watch that. For example, Finding Dory number two. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but if you have noticed that in honor of uh, one of the uh, main characters of, the, of that movie, they have shown a, a scene. You don't even pay attention to it, but you have two females pushing a, a stroller actually in the park together. And that's kind of like a subtle message, basically. There's also another, fam another movie, uh, what's it called? Stored, I believe, uh, where kids are delivered to homes. Towards the end of the movie, when they start showing all the kinds of different family examples, like, you know, white, black, brown, and then mixed, and then this, and then, and then you have two men, two women, all these kind of quick pictures come so quickly, you don't pay attention to them, to define what family is. So again, in the 21st century, there is a, a huge uh, uh, yeah, agenda, a huge push to redesign and redefine the meaning of a family for, for Muslims who believe in divine revelation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already inspired the meaning of it. We find that in Surah An-Nisa. In Surah An-Nisa, which is the, the first, the very first ayah, in Surah An-Nisa, the chapter of women. And the chapter of women, for those who don't read what the chapter is all about, it is considered in the modern terms, it's considered more of like a social reform. Back in those days, the social, the social culture of, of that time was horrible. So when Islam came introduced these reforms in Surah An-Nisa, they were revolutionary to their time. Today, when we bring these issues up, people just like, you know, brush them off. Why? Because, yeah, we know about that stuff. Like, we're way advanced. But yeah, at that time, when this was revealed, it was revolutionary. Like, for example, women have right and inheritance. Today, people, they fight about how much. But back then, just for the idea that women have inheritance, who heard about this before? It was revolutionary of its time. So from the very beginning of Surah An-Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya nasu min O mankind, O people. He didn't say, O oh, who believed. He said, O people, O mankind, you fear your Lord, who created you from the same person, one single soul. From that, from that person or that soul, he created its, its mate, which means the spouse. From that first pair, he dispersed so many men and women. And as you can see right now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying how families are formed. And then he says, Allah. So Therefore you fear Allah. That you ask the right and obligations by the name of Allah. When you get married, what do you say? By the name of Allah, right? Wal-arham, which means beware of your blood ties and your kinships. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was, was warning us and was advising us in regards to the rights that we have or obligations we have towards him. And also at the same token, the same time, he says the obligation you have towards your arham, which means your relatives and your, your family. This is how serious when it comes to defining what family means. And there's another definition, contemporary definition of family. It is a group of uh, uh, people tied together through rights of matrimony, which means marriage, uh, leading to an expanded or extended and diverse interpersonal relationships. Once you get married, suddenly your titles change, right? The moment that stranger, man and woman, 
they get together in words of matrimony, they become now what? After they map their nikah and their, uh, and their kitab, what do we call them? Husband and wife, all of a sudden. Before that, they didn't have that title. And the moment they become husband and wife, after say, I do and I accept, what happens to their parents? What do they become? Father-in-law, mother-in-law, all of a sudden, right? Your siblings, what do they become? Brother-in-law and sister-in-law, all of a sudden. And then the moment you have a child, what happens? Oh man, new titles. What do you become? Mom, dad. And then you have grandma, grandpa, and then you have uncle, aunt, you name it. And if you have other siblings who are married and have kids, what do you have right now for your children? Cousins. As you can see, without, without the core of family, which is marriage, being at its core, you can't establish all these interpersonal relationships, Islamically. Maybe biologically you can, but technically without the words of matrimony in itself, it doesn't qualify to be an extended family in that sense. Uh, and they're bound by mutual rights and obligations. Okay, next. How are family ties formed? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that in the Quran. It is He subhanahu wa ta'ala who created from what from water a, a human being. Like we've been created from water. And then he says, وصهرا, and he made it in, he made them into nasab and suhr. Nasab, that is now your 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 blood ties. Suhra, the ties of kinship that you have through marriage. So again, the nasab is the people related to you by blood and musahara or suhr, those are related to you be, through the marriage. All of it. So we have two major ways of establishing a family or a kinship. Through blood ties and through marriage. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even giving us more details. Not just you know, giving us these two terms. No, he's given a detail. In Surah An-Nisa, he says, It was made unlawful to you in terms of marrying them. Not allowed to, to, to marry them. He's speaking to whom right now? Speaking to men, right? Okay, why don't he speak to women? Well, because when it comes to marriage, when it comes to marriage, who usually is expected to propose? The girl or the boy? The boy or his family. So therefore, we speak to the men in terms of you know, their relationship, to who they're allowed to marry, or who they're not allowed to get married to. So you can switch that if you talk about, if, you, if a woman talks right now, or once the woman wants to understand her relationships, switch all of this instead of saying, Ummahatum, your father. The woman speaks to herself. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ Your mothers, not allowed to marry them. وَبَنَاتُكُمْ Your daughters. وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ Your sisters. Now when we talk about your sister, what does it mean exactly? All of them. Full sisters, half-sisters. Meaning from the mother's side, the father's side, they're all considered haram. وَعَمَّاتُكُمْ وَخَالَاتُكُمْ In English there's one word for it, aunts. But in Arabic, Ammatukum, aunts from the, the paternal aunts, and khalatukum, maternal aunts. Wabanatul akhi wabanatul ukht. This is now your niece. Whether it's coming from your, from your brother's side or your sister your sister's side. Wa ummahatukum ullati arda'anakum. The mothers, breastfeeding, milk ties, right now. Wa khawatukum minar rada'ah. Sisters whom you had actually breastfeeding with from the, from the same mother. If a child was nursed in one particular household from that mother, it becomes actually like a mahram to them. We're going to mention it more in details afterwards. The mothers of your wives, which means your mother-in-law. 
وربائبكم اللاتي في حجوركم من نسائكم اللاتي دخلتم بهن This is your stepdaughter right now. Your stepdaughter from the woman, from your wife, with whom you already consummated the marriage with. And then Allah says, فَإِن لَمْ تَكُونُوا دَخَلْتُمْ بِهِنَّ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ But if you did not consummate the marriage with their mothers, and it didn't work out, then you are all allowed to marry these daughters. You are. If there was no consummation of that marriage. وَحَلَائِلُ أَبْنَائِكُمُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ أَصْلَابِكُمْ Now these are your daughter-in-law. From the boys who are blood, blood children to you. Not adopted or anything like that. And to marry two sisters at the same time, you're not allowed to do that. But in succession, let's say if you marry somebody and then she passed away, for example, are you allowed to marry her sister? The answer is yes. You can marry her sister. What if you had kids from her sister? Can you marry the kid's aunt? The answer is yes. You can do that. It's, a, it's permissible. And the ayah following that says, and the women who are already married. What does that mean? You can't propose to a lady who is already married. Like telling, hey, I'm a better husband for you than this guy. Trust me. You can't say that. It's not allowed. It's called takhbib in Islam and it's actually, it's prohibited. All right. So based on this, let's talk about the rules of engagement. We have so many, so many extended and expanded, you know, relationships. How do we understand that? Can we make that answer? So real quick before we continue, uh, we're going to be having uh, all, so we're back up on Slido, alhamdulillah. Um, the Wi-Fi in here is really weak, so you'll just have to use the data plan on your phones. So if you can, uh, go on your phones and log on to Slido.com. That's S-L-I-D-O.com. Slido, S-L-I-D-O.com. And from there, you can ask any questions that you want to ask. Uh, obviously, priority will be given to the questions that are related or relevant to the topics at hand. Um, and then if there are any excess questions or questions that were already answered, then we can go from there. Or I can save them for the Q&A for later in the session. So when you get to Slido.com, the code is uh, MASCON, M-A-S-C-O-N, that's the event code, I'm sorry, M-A-S-C-O-N, MASCON. And uh, from there, you can ask all the questions that you want, inshallah, and then we'll also have live posts. Now, when it comes to the family, who has more right upon me? That's a question many, many people have in their mind. Well, if you look at the circle, this is the, the three circles we have over here that defines the different layers of the family. We have the core, that's the central, the, the, the inner circle. Then you have the mahram circle, that's the central circle. And then you have the outer circle, that's the extended, the extended family. Now, rules about this. Number one. The closer to the core, the more rights members have upon you. So those who are closer to the core, then they have more rights than those who are farther from the core. Like someone who's in the mahram circle, they have more rights on you than someone who's in the extended family circle. So it depends on how close or far they are to you. Also, anyone who is directly related to a family member has more rights than one who leads to that member through another member. What does that mean? Who has more right on you? Your child or the child of your child? Your child or the child of your child? What do you call the, what do you call the child of your child? Grandchildren. Who has more right on you? Your grandchildren or your children? I know now feeling and sentiments, you know, says, oh, my, my grandchildren. 
Well, I throw my child away, I'll take my grandchild because they're, they're younger and they're sweeter, right? Well, that's sentimental that value. But we're talking about technical rules. No, those are closer to you. They have more rights on you than those who are farther than you. So therefore, is it your uncle or your cousin? Uncle, right? Because the uncle is closer. But I'm closer to my cousin. He's my cousin. She's my cousin. I know that part, the emotional part. But in terms of rights and obligation, actually the one who's closer has more right on you than the one who's farther. <clears throat> okay, so where do we get that from? We get that from the Prophet ﷺ when he told us, Inna Allah yusikum bi ummahatikum. Allah advise you, Allah reminds you to duties in regards to your mothers. Thumma yusikum bi ummahatikum, then your mothers. Thumma yusikum bi abaikum, then your father. So he said mothers twice and fathers uh, third. Then he said, Thumma yusikum bil aqrab fal aqrab. Then you go from that one who's closer and closer to you. Is that clear? How do you visualize that? Let's look at this. What comes to another core? The core family, the core circle is made of who? Ma husband, wife, husband, wife, their parents and grandparents all the way up, and their children, grandchildren all the way down. Is that clear? So the core circle is you and your spouse, your parents, both of them, and their parents all the way up as far as they can get because some families, mashallah, they marry very early, so they have five generations together in one picture, right? That's the same thing, they have the same rights. Also, your children and grandchildren all the way down. The children, grandchildren, all the way down. Is that clear? So this is what we call the core circle. They have rights, very strict and, and, and sophisticated rights among themselves. Keep it for now with you, inshallah. Right, if you have a question, just write it down for now. The second circle. We have the mahram or the unmarriageable kin. And that is the central circle. If you remember guys, the circle we had before has actually three portions, right? Like a pizza, three pieces. These three pieces, they're, they're uh, A, B, and C, which means why they're considered mahram. You can establish a mahram relationship with somebody based on specific criteria. Number one, and that's the, the, the largest, as you can see, by blood ties. Blood ties, which is when you, re if you remember Ayat al-Nisa, most of the first section of the surah, was about blood ties. Your mothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, right? The second one is by mar marital ties or marriage ties. So when you get married, you establish mother-in-law, uh, uh, father-in-law relationship and so on. And son-in-law and, and daughter-in-law. Also, by marriage, you have a new relationship for stepchildren. Like once you get married to somebody with children and you consummate the marriage with their father or their mother, then in this case, they become mahram to you forever. What if we get divorced? They're still mahram to you forever. Is that clear? Your stepchildren, after the consummation of marriage with their parents, even if the relationship doesn't last long and they get divorced, then these children, they're still mahram to you forever. Now. And the third one is by milk ties. What does that mean? Breastfeeding. And how do we do that? Well, breastfeeding, basically, I want you to imagine a copy of the blood ties uh, like treating a child who was nursed in that family as if this child, boy or girl, was an actual uh, biological child of that family. The same thing. So the kids, they become uh, uh, like part of the family. The siblings are considered like mahram to them. The parents, the uncles and aunts, all that extension of the family applies to this child because of the, of the milk ties. Only the child that nursed in that family. 
What if that child, that nurse in that family, has biological siblings? Those biological siblings, they're not mahram. They're not mahram to that, his, his milk family. But they're mahram to that child. Let's say family A has children. Family B has children. A child from family B, let's say a boy, he nursed into family A. So that child, let's call him Muhammad. Muhammad right now nursed in this family. All the children of family A become mahram to him. Okay, if they have girls. And also the aunts and so on. But his sibling, Muhammad's siblings, they're only mahram to him. Because he's biological child to them. They're not mahram to the other family because there's no connection between them at all. Is that clear? Now the question people ask is how many nurses, how many times uh, makes a mahram? Now ulama, they have difference of opinion. Some they say one meal is enough. And some ulama, they say five. According to Hadith Aisha radiallahu anha. Others they say ten. I believe Allah and Hadith Aisha is clear on making it five full meals. When we say five full meals, what does it mean? It means a child nurses until the child falls asleep while nursing or stops breastfeeding. That's considered one meal. Does it have to be directly? Can we just give the, give the milk uh, 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 through a bottle? Yeah, that's fine. As long as it's the milk from that mother, does it really matter? So this is something to be clear about. Once you have a child who nursed enough times in that family and this household becomes mahram to them. There's more ruling to this, but I'm gonna have to skip it to move on, inshallah ta'ala, to the rights and obligations within the land, sure. We can get some uh, later in the questions, inshallah. <clears throat> now, the extended family, going again to the third layer of that family, this is what we call the outer circle, or they call them the Arabic al-hawashi, like saying collateral relations. Cousins, all degrees, which means first cousin, second cousin, third cousin. If we talk about first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, who has more right on you? What do you guys think? The first cousin, why? Because they're closer. Than the second cousin. But what if I'm closer to my third cousin? Because we're the same age and so on. That's fine. That's okay. You can have this relationship together. But if there is any legal or technical obligation, it goes first to the closer one than the father one. Brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their children. So their ch the, the brother-in-law and sister-in-law also becomes part of that, that's, that circle. So as you can see, the mother-in-law, father-in-law, in which circle do they go, do they go Jama'ah? The second one. And the brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they go into the third one. So the, the parents-in-law are closer. So what is our obligation towards our relatives? It's what we call it, Silat al-Rahim. That's what we call Silat al-Rahim. In the Arabic language, the word Sila means connection, to connect. Wasala yasilu. So that's the meaning, to connect. And al-Rahim means the womb. So how do you connect the womb in this case? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose very, very uniquely to call this relationship with family to remind them with the, uh, the, purpose, the reason why we consider it family because we come almost from the connected wombs basically from the mothers and so on. Uh, uh, so that's to connect the ties of kinship. And we have two kinds of kinship over here. We have what we call ar-rahim or in English the closest to it is kinship. And we have al-aqarib which means relatives. And they were mentioned in the Quran by the way. And the hadith of the Prophet as well. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayah over here, He says, And those of arham, in the translation they use blood relationships. But arham means anyone who's related to you through, of course, the blood ties. As for the aqarib, or the relatives, 
And before that, another actual example of a rahim, uh, the Prophet sallallahu uh, he was asked, Man abar, who should I give my birth to? The Prophet says, Ummuka wa abak, your mom and your dad, wa uhtuka wa akhak, your sister and your brother, wa maulaka ladi yali dak, and then the maula, which is basically a system back then, more like naturalizing someone within the family as part of a slavery system after they are free, they become part of the family in that sense. Wa maulaka ladi yali dak, haqqun wajib, it's an obligation upon you, wa rahimun mausula, and that is a connected rahim. A connected raham, which means blood ties. If you guys notice the hadith here, when the Prophet was speaking about who takes the rights, whom did he introduce first? The, the, male, the male or the female? The female. Mother, father, and then he says, sister, brother. He didn't say your brother first and then sister second. He says, no, your sister and then your brother. Because again, that requires more attention. It requires more to give them more attention because as you can see in our society, unfortunately, their rights are more abused or easy to abuse than the rights of the male members of the family. As for the Aqarib, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, uh, الْقُرْبَى I don't ask you, speaking to his, to his uh, uh, tribe, uh, the Prophet ﷺ was asked, tell them, I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not asking you to give me money or pay me anything. I'm doing this as of my obligations towards you as my relatives. Towards you as my relatives. In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he expanded his relatives. When he first was, was given the command and the permission to uh, introduce the da'wah publicly, he called everybody. So when the people of Mecca, they arrived and he starts speaking to them, then he ﷺ, specifically starts speaking to his family. Meaning his expanded and extended family. So he starts saying, قال, يَا بَنِي كَعْبِ بْنُ لُؤَيْنِ Oh, كَعْبِ بْنُ لُؤَيْنِ Like his fourth, maybe fifth cousin relatives. He began from way up there. Then he says, أَنْقِدِ أَنْفُسَكُمْ مِنَ النَّارِ Protect yourself from the fire. I can't help you. Then he goes down to the second maybe level. He goes, يَا بَنِي عَبْدِ مَنَافِ أَنْقِدِ أَنْفُسَكُمْ مِنَ النَّارِ And then he goes to the, to the closest, his grandpa, grandfather right now. Ya Bani Abd or Ya Bani Hashim before that. And then Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib. And then he goes now to his level. He goes, Ya Fatima Tabinta Muhammad. Now he's speaking to his kids. And he told her, Anqidi nafsaki min al-nar, protect yourself from the fire. Fa'inni la amliku laku laki min Allahi shay'a. I can't help you in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with anything except Ghaira anna lakum rahiman sa'abulluha bi balaliha. I am connected to you through al-rahim, which means the kinship or the relative relationships. So again, it has been decided who is closer and who is farther. What happens in our time is when people mix up their closest with the farthest just because of sentimental values. Sentimental values, okay, take care of yourself and each other because you're close to age, close to culture, close to you know, uh, experience living together. But when there are certain technical rights and obligations, you go by the order of uh, uh, the family, the, the family uh, system. Now, um, where is the name Salatul Rahim coming from? Hadith al-Nabi who says that Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he created Ar-Rahim, when he created the womb, he says, وَأَنَا خَلَقْتُ الرَّحِمْ I did create Ar-Rahim وَاشْتَقَقْتُ لَهَا مِنْ اسْمِي I gave, her, I gave Ar-Rahim the womb, the, a name from, from my name. So the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahman and he chose to name it Ar-Rahim. To remind us that it's all about Rahim which means mercy, compassion. I think you mentioned it. 
Okay, so mahram, I think the word mahram we mentioned actually earlier means the unmarriageable kin. Al-mahram is the unmarriageable kin. Someone you're not allowed to marry because of blood ties. That's what it means. Now, when Allah subhanahu, when the Prophet sallallahu was asked about something that brings us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get into al-jannah, stay away from jahannam, he says, qala, ta'budu Allah wa la tushrik bihi shay'a. You worship Allah, don't want social partners with him. Wa tuqim as-salah, you establish salah, tu'ti zakah, give your zakah, wa tasilu rahim and you maintain the tie of kinship. This is how important Salat al-Rahim is. Also, to show the importance of Salat al-Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَآتِدَ الْقُرْبَى حَقَّهُ It's a command in the Qur'an that you give those who are related to you the rights. So the rights of your relatives is an obligation upon you. It's not a choice. But what are these obligations? That's something you know decided afterwards. Uh, also, to show the importance of Salat al-Rahim, if someone wants to have his name to be extended you know, beyond their lifetime, or they want their risk to expand as well too, then take care of your arham and your relatives. The Prophet says, Because when you maintain good ties with your kinship, your name will be actually extended among the people. And even after long you're gone, they keep remember you. And then generations later they keep saying, Masha, my grandfather, my great-grandfather was such and such. And also the rizq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the value of what he gives you. Also, to show the importance of Salat al-Rahim, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he created al-Rahim, he, he mentioned again in a man that suits his majesty, al-Rahim spoke to Allah azza wa jal and asking Allah's protection from being cut off. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Would you be pleased if, I, if someone connects you, I connect him with me. If someone decides to cut you off, I'll cut them off from me. And of course, that's a very dangerous thing, Jama'ah. So therefore, make sure to maintain a good and healthy relationship with your arham. And how do I do that? Okay, I understand. It's very important. It's very scary not to maintain ties of kinship. But how do I do that? So in general terms, the Prophet ﷺ said to us, He said, If you guys remember from last night's session, uh, these rules, it's, a, it's an unmeasured obligation. Like there is no specifics. It was left for us to do it with ihsan. So when the Prophet was asked, how do I do that? He goes, to be somebody who maintains a type of kinship is not to be a copycat. If they do good, you do good. If they do bad, you do bad. No, that's not what it, what it is. Instead, if they do good, you do better. And if they do bad, what do they do? Still, you do good. That's the, the meaning of being mukafir right now. Now, our ulama also, they say, except unless maintaining that ties of kinship can bring harm to you, whether physical harm or anything else. Uh, but again, don't be easy in trying to define harm. So you need to ask somebody who can help you define if this is right or wrong. Like, for example, people that say, you know, every time I go to my, my family's house, my parents' house, they're so hard, they're so difficult on me, they make my life, you know, difficult. Now, making it difficult is one thing, but making it dangerous is another thing. So that's something you need to de define what it means and explain to the Shaykh if when he asked the question. Also, a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he says, Ya Rasulullah, inna li qarab. I have some relatives. Asilhum wa yaqta'unani. I'm always trying to maintain good ties with them. They keep cutting me off. I'm trying to be nice to them. They always you know, reply was being bad to me. They always you know, act you know, foolish towards me, but I'm very patient with them. Now, what exactly was he asking right now? What do you guys think? 
Like he's just asking, did I do my part? Khalas, sir. Shall I cut him off? I'm done. Which is the many, very common question people they ask. They come to the sheikh and say, sheikh, I try my best, but every time I go there, my iman goes down, I lose my mind, this and that. Like they said, they're asking, can I cut them off? Well, the Prophet ﷺ, he told this man, If it's true what you're saying about you being always initiating, being good and so on and so, and they're always replied with being bad towards you, They're just like rubbing ashes in their faces. Like, and it, this is so good from you. And he's just kind of like rubbing ash in their face. And you always have an angel with you to support you as long as you maintain that attitude. Once you switch, that's it. You're on your own. Which means the Prophet is saying you have the option to continue like this or stay away from it. So we have categories of Rahim. Going quickly over this, inshallah. Birul Walidain. We spoke about this yesterday in detail. So we're not going to mention that here. So we just want you to know that first of all, Birul Walidain. Number two, children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya ayyu aladheena amanu quu anfusakum mahalikum nara wa quuduhan nasu wal hijara. All who believe, protect yourself and your families from fire. Here's a question. There are so many verses in the Quran about the rights of parents. Why won't you have that many ayat in the Quran about the rights of children? What do you guys, why do you think? Because it's natural. It's natural to be inclined to take care of your babies and children. That's a very natural thing. Fitrah, right? But to take care of your parents, you require divine intervention. It requires divine intervention to remind you to take care of your parents. But we're kids, there's no need for that. It's natural for us to do that. The spouse. The Prophet says in the hadith, The best among all of you are those who are best to the wives. And I'm my best, the best of my wife. That's what he said, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Which means he's telling us what? Look at my example. Follow what I do. So we have the parents, we have the children, we have the spouse, and then comes our siblings. You know, I read a study last year, subhanallah, on the subject of, of uh, siblings' relationships. They say it's very ironic. It's that type of relationship, the type of family relationship that has least studies in in, in academia. There is no much, there isn't much really about siblings' relationships. Although the irony about it is that siblings' relationship will outlast probably any other family relationship. What does that mean? Your relationship with your siblings could be longer than your relationship with your parents and it might even outlast your relationship with your children. How so? Because you might, you know, might live you know, in a time where your parents die relatively earlier than others, you still have your, family, your siblings to live longer with them. And you might get married later in your life, so you're not going to have much time with your children, but most of your blood ties will be with your siblings. If you pay attention to this, Jama'ah, this is the most important probably of your blood tie that you need to maintain and keep it healthy. And unfortunately, our society today is the least important among all the blood ties. With siblings, people, they easily cut ties over many, many things, subhanAllah. They didn't come to the wedding of our child. They didn't pay enough in that wedding. Well, were they bring the food? I don't know. They brought, they brought catering. This is disrespectful. Silly things. People cut ties on silly things. So be careful with that. Uh, SubhanAllah, look at the ayah over here. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed uh, or, or, or commissioned Musa alayhi salam to the Prophet, what did Musa think about? First thing came to his mind. The first person came to his mind is what? 
his brother. Wow, this is an unbelievable thing. Can you imagine if you, there's something good happens to you, the first person comes to your mind instead of your friend or your cousin is actually your brother or your sister? And that requires lots of you know, bonding with each other. And that's why he said, Ya, ya Rabb, my brother Harun, could you please commission to the Prophet as well too? I mean, a gift like being a Prophet, Allahu Akbar, that's unbelievable. Also, we've seen the story of Yusuf No matter what they did to him, Look how, how awful they did to, to, to Yusuf Not just through the process of throwing him in the well and all that stuff and so on. No, later on, later on when they came poor, deprived, and now they're looking for, for, for charity from this king who was the brother. They didn't know that. And then when, they, when Yusuf plotted you know, the, the whole thing with his own uh, full brother, he asked him, he said, listen, I'm going to put the measurement in your, in your case. We'll take you back from them. When he did that, and he came to them, he goes, hold on a second, let's see, we're missing uh, uh, something over here. You guys, you stole it from us. He goes, no, we didn't do that, we can't. And then when they found it in his brother's case, he said, you see, we told you. What was the response? If he did that, he had a brother before he did the same. In his face, speaking about Yusuf alayhi salam. I mean, if you were in, in the position of Yusuf, what would you tell them? He was just like, you know what, you're done. I'm, I'm done with you guys. Get out of here. Don't come back again. Instead, he said, just qala subhanahu You know what? No. Antum sharrum makan. But he just, asarraha yusuf fi nafsi. He kept it in his heart. He didn't want to bring that out to them in that moment. Still, towards the end of the story, when he told them who he was, and they knew that it was Yusuf alayhi salam, and they all got together as family, instead of always pointing fingers, it's your fault, your fault, you're the one to blame, blah, blah, blah. What did he say? He gave them full amnesty. No harm, no blame. Forget it. Let's throw it behind our backs. Let's start, you know, clean slate together. Allah will forgive you. And who is the most merciful? He didn't even say, by the way, he didn't even say, I forgive you. Like he didn't want to make them feel guilty towards him. He goes, Allah forgive you. Like it doesn't matter. For me, it doesn't matter, but I want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you. With the siblings, they're not always good together. No matter how much you try, competition happens. And subhanAllah happens in the first family, human family ever on earth. The children of Adam, as Allah described in Surah Al-Ma'idah. The competition, jealousy happens. It happens, it can be fatal even. So Allah is warning us against this, this sentiment, this feeling. Take it easy on each other, and specifically parents, don't be the source of jealousy between your children. Make sure to be fair. And as for the uncle and aunt, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned Hadith Abdullah Mas'ud, like the uncle of the man or the person, is almost similar in status to the father in terms of respect. Not necessarily in terms of uh, uh, all the hukuk and wajibat, but in terms of the status. And to the aunt, the Prophet ﷺ said, the maternal aunt, is closer to the, the, the lady or the person uh, than, the, than, than the paternal aunt. Because the Prophet call her as being like a second mother. Our in-laws. The Prophet he spoke to the Sahaba as one of these prophecies after his time. He says, You're going to conquer Egypt. These are a place where people, they trade with the Qirat. Then he says, When you conquer it, Make sure that they care of its family or, or people. فَإِنَّ لَهُمْ ذِمَّةً وَرَحِمًا Because you owe it to them 
for the dhimma and the rahim you have with them. What is a dhimma and what is a rahim, which means a suhr? Here the, word, the other word suhr, which means a, a, a marriage. Who are they? Do you guys know who are the dhimma? Who is the suhr? A dhimma is Maria, the Coptic, the wife of the Prophet And who was the suhr, which means that through marriage? Hajar, the mother of Ismail, way up there. So you go that your blood ties go all the way up to these generations. This is how serious maintaining ties of kinship. Now, inshallah, to finalize bin Allah Azza wa Jal. In regards to uh, uh, why family uh, relations are severed and we have issues with this in our time. Number one is the culture of individualism. Back in those days, people are valued and measured. Their, their status and their value was measured of what? How, how much they contribute to the all tribe and family system back then. Which is why at the time of the Prophet the Arab, before even Islam, if something happens within the certain tribe and one calls for the support of the tribe, Everybody comes in. They don't even care if you're right or wrong. They will support you. Just because you're part of the clan. Today it's different. Now I'm not saying to support them when they're right or wrong. But we support them when they're right and help them stop you know, being wrong. But here because of the culture of individualism. That sense of loyalty to a family. And taking care of you know, your ties with your siblings and uncles and aunts. It's degrading. Also the change that is happening in our society. In our family structure. So the biggest change in a Muslim society. In Muslim family structure. What is it? Number one, the size of the family. So back in the days, we used to have, mashallah, parents, they would have how many kids? A dozen or two, probably, right? Now, most families, they have one, two kids and a pet. Why? Because it's enough for us. So what happens when you have that small number? What happens when you have a small number, there is a lot of emotional attachment. And as a result, there's a lot of pressure from the parents on their children and the children towards their parents. That kind of codependence, emotional codependence becomes extremely heavy. By the way, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying having a small family is haram or halal. I'm not saying that. That's a choice you guys you make. But we're talking about the outcome and the natural results of having smaller family. Because when you have two kids only, there's a chance for these two kids to be what? All boys or all girls? Or one boy, one girl. Now who has more obligation on you? A lot of, lot of, lot of things happen as a result of that. And if you have two kids, that means your life is best in terms of your, uh, your uh, retirement and yeah, success. It's 50-50 right now. So there are a lot of actually things happen as a result of choosing small families. Uh, back in the days when families, mashallah, six, seven, eight, ten kids, uh, the mother and the father, they never run out of emotional yeah, uh, gratification. Because by the time the younger one reaches a certain age, the older one already having kids. So mashallah, they become grandparents. Today, if you have two, three kids, by that time, by the time you turn 40, your kids are already going to college probably right now, or high school. So you become early nesters then at 40. It's like, whoa, what happened? Where are the kids? So that's when the emotional you know, pressure happens in the relationship. Pa parents become clingy, and they want to make sure their kids are okay, so they want to make sure they go to the right college, they want to dictate who they get married to, and all that stuff, so they become more controlling, and that's why we have all these issues in our family. Single, fa single parent family, that's now a new change happening in our society because unfortunately the high rate of divorce and we end up with a lot of single parents, particularly single moms. Is that right or wrong? No, not necessarily. It's becoming now a new norm in our society, not that it's right or wrong. So therefore people need to accept the new reality. But that also leads to another, another problem, which is the step, step family uh, uh, structure. 
I don't have an answer to the issue of the mahram between the stepchildren, among them, so step siblings. I don't have an answer to this problem. But it is becoming a situation that we have to deal with as a community. A man gets married, he has kids from previous marriage, and she has kids from his previous marriage. When they get married, are they going to be mahram? Now, the kids are mahram to the step parents. But are they mahram to the step sibling? The answer is no. So, how do we deal with this? Well, it was easy back then because people get married, used to get married at a very young age. So by the time they hit 12, they're already gone, you know, they're married and they have their own. So there's no worry about mahram issue. Today, our kids, they stay with us until they hit 40s, mashallah. <laughs> so we raised them a long, long time. So the whole mahram issue and the hijab issue becomes problematic. Between the wife and the mother-in-law, there's always this issue who has the competition. And if you think about what we mentioned yesterday, Think about the relationship to Venn diagram, the Venn diagram, two circles. The one in the middle is the man, and this is the circle of the mom, the circle of the wife. The job of the person was in the middle to maintain that healthy relationship by making sure to love the mom the way a mother needs to be loved, love the wife the way she's to be loved, and that's how you maintain balance. The problem is that when each one of them wants to take more territories on the area of the other party. It's your job, whoever that in the middle actually. And it could be sometimes the ladies in the middle, and the husband in one circle, and her father or her brother maybe in the other circle. Depends on who's strong actually within that relationship. We talked about living in the in -law, with the in-laws, and when parents have issues with their siblings, your uncles and aunts, what's your duty? You love your parents the way they need to be loved. At the same time, maintain healthy minimum relationship with your uncles and your aunts. But if you know that your uncles and your aunts are going to be manipulative just to take advantage of this, you know, so they can get at your parents, of course, you're going to have to take a stance on this. And make sure to keep healthy boundaries with everybody, inshallah ta'ala. Wallahu ta'ala. Now, I have a question. Uh, inshallah, we'll, uh, we'll break right now. Uh, I'll, I'll go through a couple questions, but uh, our next session will be at 11.15, inshallah. So, uh, Sheikh, how then, when it comes to step-parents, uh, if we're raised by them, do we have to give the same as if they were our biological parents? Step-parents, step if they raised you, if they're the one who raised you actually at home and took care of you financially and emotionally and so on, do they have the same rights upon you like their, your biological parents? The answer is actually is yes, they do. They do. Uh, um, now, uh, do they have the, the haq and the wilaya over you? If the other parent was still available, like if the father was still available, the biological father available, and he took care of you financially and took care of many, many things for you, they have the wilaya. That means they have the right to say to marry this person or say yes or no, for example, in, this, in the case of your uh, affairs and so forth. But the step, the step parents in this case, you know, you give them the respect they deserve. Yani. Allahu Akbar. One more. Is it, uh, let's teach you one. Is it permissible for the wife to take the groom's last name after nikah? Is it permissible for the wife to take the groom's last name after the nikah? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, call them by the names of their fathers, right? So the ulama, they argue about what does that mean? So the majority of the ulama, they say that you don't change your father's name, the father's name. What about the family name? Here's the problem. Family names in many, many cases don't necessarily go back to biological uh, uh, bloodline. So for example, some people, maybe they call them, the last name for them is, let's say, Al-Masri, Al-Nabulsi, or this and that. What does that mean? It's refer reference to a country or a culture or a town, or even sometimes to a profession. So it's not necessarily indicator of a bloodline. So therefore they say, to change the last name is not problematic as changing the father's name. Uh, do we recommend that? 
it's neutral, there is no recommendation. Either you keep your family name, inshallah ta'ala. La qadrullah, unfortunately, and being very pragmatic on this, on this point right now, because of what we see and the high rate of divorce, you don't want to go into the problem of switching names. La qadrullah, if this happens, to be honest with you. And that's pragmatic, actually, answer to real situations happening today. Now. What is the Islamic perspective on not having children? The, the Islamic perspective on not having children. It's your choice, but at your own risk. Which means if a husband and wife at the beginning of the relationship, they decided not to have kids. Here's my advice for you. First of all, don't say we don't want to have kids. But if you want to delay having kids, that's fine. You can say we're still in college. We still want, I want to finish my PhD. I want to finish my master, for example. I want to finish my residency, whatever that you go through. Or I want to go to Hajj first before having kids. It's okay, you can say that. But to say, I don't want to have kids just in case, that's the worst thing you, you do to yourself. Because the moment you come into a relationship and you delay having kids because I want to test the relationship with, if it's going to be good or bad, you already open an exit door. So there's an 80% chance you will take that exit door. Why? Because you opened it. But when you get married, you're for the long haul. Don't even try that. Don't even just say just in case. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, if you decide not having kids in, in the contract, let's say we decide not to have kids, okay? And then later on the relationship, let's say, oops, she's pregnant. What are we going to do now? So, hey, we had a deal. Do we abort the child? The answer is no. You can't abort the child. Okay, what if after we, we made the deal, no kids, and then later on, uh, he or she changed their mind. They start seeing all these parents, all these parents running with their little kids, and oh my God, so sweet, I want to be a parent, right? Every parent says, yeah, sure. Uh, but they see it's sweet, I want to have kids. One of them changes their mind. Is it an obligation on the other party to comply? If they have an agreement, no, they don't. So what do we do in this case? That gives them an option to, to, uh, to call it off if they want to. But we don't recommend that as well, still. I have seen some parents who, or some actually couples who decide not to have kids, but after many years in the relationship, they themselves change their minds. Why? Because we go into phases in life. The phase of not having kids is a temporary phase. After four, five, six years, or maybe more in the relationship, the relationship becomes boring, I'm telling you. And it's just like, now what? What do we do now? What's the next phase in the relationship? So that's when they start thinking of becoming parents. And alhamdulillah, many of them that I know actually, when they came to me as premarital, say, we don't have kids, said, sure, okay, we'll talk about it later. Now they have one or two, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Wallahu alam. 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 Wallahu alam.